I love you. Welcome to our Tuesday conversation. And so as always on Tuesday, I am joined by Mind, Movement, Intimacy, and Relationship Coach, Molly Godfrey, who has uh, a very unique sort of background and training in the understanding of love relationships and certainly has taught me such an extraordinary amount of information and helped me understand not only myself, as uh, someone in a relationship, but also what I could do differently to ensure that my relationships are healthy and strong and that we get to keep that passionate early love stage that we all want and I think seek out in our relationships to begin with. So welcome and thanks for joining me today. Yes, thanks for having me, I love these. You know, it's super fun, super fun um, for us anyway. And we hope that it's helpful for other people as well. Um, so I know that you do uh, a lot of work with, with your clients. And I'm curious as to kind of what you're seeing, what you're noticing, and what, you know, you're obviously in the trenches with, with clients who are dealing with the love relationships on the ground. I'm wondering what it is that you're seeing and what you would think is most helpful to start out with today. Definitely. I think it's funny. I never try and prepare too soon for these um, mm -hmm. just because things change literally minute to minute these days. But mm -hmm. the shift that I'm seeing is at least for me and then it's been reflected back. There's, there's like a stillness that we're all kind of dropping into like an acceptance of this is their new reality mm -hmm. and it's for sure causing some people to get more honest and mm. implement some different practices journaling for support but I think in general it feels like I have some clients that have completely abandoned dating they're like you know what I'm not even gonna try right now I'm just gonna like focus on myself get my own house in order but then I see people in partnership doing that too. Mm. So they're starting to want more space and just like, mm. let's kind of do our own thing for a little bit. And so I think it's a really good topic to, we can go into like attachment styles and just the biology of that. But just like what happens when your partner wants space mm. and how to navigate that, how it can actually be a huge blessing for your relationship and just the different intimacy needs that we all have because we all just have such different capacities and like being able to recognize that in yourself and then in your partner and being able to communicate that while in connection is super valuable. Right. So you mentioned a lot just in that, in those few sentences. So most people probably are unaware that based on our early relationships with caregivers, we have certain style of trust in our relationships in general. And particularly, I'm sure we all know this just from anecdotal experience, <laughs> our own personal experiences, our love relationships, that gets reflected back in a big way because these are our you know, live-in, typically intimate, closest relationships. Uh, and more close in many ways, obviously, than, than our family relationships. And it's a different kind of relationship. But ultimately, what we do without, without knowing it is we seek out a replaying, a kind of redramatization of what's comfortable from those early caregiver relationships. Now, the hope is that we, if we do have what we call insecure attachment styles, in other words, we don't have the healthiest of relationships uh, hanging around from early childhood, that we can correct those with intention, conscious awareness, and communication. However, that is really tough because we are very triggered by our partners. And when we have an insecure attachment, which is a psychological term for um, don't trust our partners inherently because of our own stuff, we then can get into a dance with a partner who typically also does not have a trusting attachment style. Otherwise they wouldn't be with us. <laughs> um, we get into a dance that can just trigger all our old early childhood challenges 
and makes for a harmonious relationship very difficult. Yep. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's so much to unpack in this conversation, but I think the best place to start is just, um, I have something mm -hmm. written down, but you can, at the basic level, starting mm -hmm. to notice where you get triggered in your own relationship, but then also learning your own. So education, and we talk about this at Mind Movement, like education is just so important. It's a right. whole component of mental health and growth, like just educating yourself on the basic biology, recognizing that in yourself. And then, you know, there's just really common red flags that you can start to pick up in, at least in early dating. Mm -hmm. When you have those, that toolkit, that is just game changing for most people. Yeah. So when you realize it's not about you, that in other words, you know, it's not about, it's not that my partner per se is reacting to me. It's that I'm reacting to me. They're reacting to them. And when we take it out of the context of blame or that it's about me in some kind of negative way and we go, Oh, this is how we're built or, Oh, this is because of how they were raised and how I was raised and stuff that we need to work through. Now it's a completely different framework. Yeah. And it can be really painful to be in. Uh, it can just be really painful to be in a dynamic and didn't feel it as a kid. And then you reenact it in a relationship and it's just, it can be really painful. And so there are some ways we can potentially go into to um, still communicate and still be connected if you do happen to be in a relationship with an avoided person. Mm -hmm. or you're the avoidant person, you have a really anxious partner and that's triggering for you because you just want to run and you don't want to engage in there. You know, in right. There. Yes. So, okay. So let's just, because you and I can get into very heady language very fast and can sort of lose people in that language. And so, uh, so ultimately what it really comes down to, as we said, is trust. And if I have a secure attachment from childhood, it means this, and I just want to blink and lay this out from a biological standpoint. So it really makes sense. If I have a secure relationship, it means that when I was really little, if like my mom walked away, I trusted that she was going to come back. And there was no fear that manifests in an increase in cortisol and stress hormone. Now, if for whatever reason, and I want to be very clear, this is, doesn't mean you had a good or bad parent. This is all in the eye of the beholder. And as a child, we don't have the executive function skills to be like very logical. Oh, I'm two years old and I'm going to be logical. Of course my mom is coming back. Like we don't have that yet. And so it's not that our parents are good or bad. They could have been the best parents in the world. But as a child, if I don't experience that, for whatever reason, then I don't experience that. And so I can develop an insecure attachment regardless of the circumstances. So this isn't about blaming and, you know, um, it's just a fact. So what happens when you have an insecure attachment, it means that starting very young, I did not trust my needs were going to be met when they needed to be met. And so I got anxious. I didn't know that I was a child. They didn't have language yet. So I, oh my God, what if this doesn't happen? What if this doesn't happen? And when that happens, you're, you have an increase in anxiety, cortisol and hormone in a stress hormone. But then that means that stress hormone at an elevated level is maintained consistently. So you have a higher baseline of stress, which then of course affects every aspect of life moving forward. So you have maybe a more anxious um, way of interacting with your friends at school. You have a more anxious way of re, uh, interacting with your teachers, with the other authority figures. You have a, a sibling relationships. So now everybody reacts to that insecure attachment a little bit differently. Some people run away. When they get scared, they run away. So instead of yelling at their teacher, they might just get really quiet and kind of hide in the corner and, and not say anything or literally can't say anything. They shut down. Um, other people they go towards the problem. I want to fix it. I want to fix it. I want to fix it. Let me just fix it. And what, what can I do to fix it? What can I do to fix it? That they come at you um, instead of retreating. And then there's mixed style. Somebody who can do both or who for so long, they try to stuff it and then it explodes. And so you have these highs and lows, which 
certainly I fall into that category in a big way. So, <laughs> so I'm either completely avoiding it or in your face, like, oh, I can't do this anymore, screaming and yelling. And so those, unfortunately, wind up then um, in partnership with somebody who often does not have the same style. So if I'm in a, if I'm an avoidant type, I might have somebody who their tendency is to come at me and to rush me. But if I'm avoidant, that means I need to run, but they keep chasing and that creates an explosion. Not understanding that it's not about running away from them. It's about, I need space to calm down and then we can have a rational conversation. But from their vantage point, it's you're leaving me. You're going to leave me. I want to resolve this now. I want to resolve this now. Right. So this is all playing out biologically, emotionally, and psychologically in the moment in a way that creates as, as obvious it would huge explosions <laughs> and more distrust instead of more trust. And so the question is, how do we know and what do we do about it? Yep. I, yep. So I recommend getting, there's a quiz you can take online, there's books, but just learning your attachment style is key. And even if you don't, even if you don't yeah. read the book, think about when, like what happens when you don't hear from your partner for five hours? What do you do? Do you get in your head? Like, what did I do? Do you like immediately start thinking about the last interactions? Do you start blaming them? Like just notice what happens when you feel like there's a disconnection in your relationship you tend to yeah get really anxious chances are you're anxious um I'm then, yeah and then do you act on it so how do you act on it do you start immediately texting them where are you where are you where are you what are you doing what are you, where? if you can't help that behavioral component so it's like there's the anxiety but then there's what do i do when i get anxious yeah and that's called like protest behavior acting out and so mm -hmm. i see this in early dating with women they'll be talking to a man, they won't hear from them for five or six hours and then they'll go change their profile or they're like, go put a new picture up and they'll like, that's protest behavior. It's like, well, he's not getting back to me. So I'm going to do that. And that's, you can continue to do that. That's why I think coaching and getting support is really helpful because instead of doing that, you could lean into a conversation and say, well, first get in touch with like, how do you need to be communicated with? Do you need like an early morning check-in? Do you like a end of the night check and like having those in place so that like if I hear from you first thing in the morning if I don't hear from you for the rest of the day that's fine like checked in, in the morning and that feels good but just like getting in touch with how you want to communicate like maybe you check in at your lunch break maybe you send a meme maybe you send a photo of what you cooked for lunch at home like getting in touch with what you need to feel good in the relationship is super big and then communicating that instead of resorting to your well I'm going to block him since I didn't hear from him and then go into your behavior because that's not protective protective behavior yeah. right how do i protect myself from being further hurt because this is uncomfortable and so how do i you know how do i deal or resolve this anxiety that i'm feeling or this suffering that i'm feeling and then resort as you're saying to this kind of protest behavior which has all kinds of ramifications and then just keeps the cycle going yeah and i think it's just so important in a relationship to just be on the same page. Like, yeah. Um, like people that have, um, let me go inside. well, I just, this just happened in my relationship last night and my boyfriend had to be like, listen, when you don't hear from me, it's not like, I'm not mad about something. I'm not avoiding you. I'm just like, he happens to have work projects that span for like five days. And so it's just important to communicate that. And then something in me settles and I'm like, Oh, got it. And then in early dating, like if you have a really demanding work schedule, just setting the expectations up front, like listen, I'm not available during the week to communicate. Yeah. Weekends are the best time to reach me. And then a clear expectation. You don't right. really mean anything. So I think just like knowing, knowing how you're going to be able to operate in a relationship and communicating that safely to the other person. It's just personal responsibility as an adult in a relationship, but we, we miss that. And so then yeah. we can cause our partners unnecessary anxiety. Right. Or ourselves. So, I mean, the thing to keep in mind is that there's two really key pieces. 
One is that what we're really after is a sense of safety and security. So what we're looking for is that reassurance that this person wants to be with me, is in this, is not going to just leave, is not going to hurt me. And so that's what we're after. The question is, how do we get proof of that? Do I get proof of that by constantly trying to get reassurance? Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Doing things to act out to get your attention, having to constantly have your attention, whether it's early dating and I'm, you know, texting or doing, you know, salacious things to get your attention or whatever it is, nagging to get your attention or even behaving like a child and, you know, making a mess and, you know, just it's screaming and yelling, whatever it is that I do to try to get your attention, because that's then reassuring that you care about me. So that's one way. There are other ways, pull back, be totally avoidant and make that person chase you. Well, if they're chasing me, then they must like me. They're not going to leave. So we're always looking for that reassurance. And as you're sort of alluding to, if we just communicate and say, look, this is how I am. So if you just text me in the morning and say, hey, hon, have a good day. Great. I'm happy. I feel cared about. You're happy because I'm not up your ass or whatever, right? <laughs> or I'm not losing it on you later or crying or whatever it is or bothering you all day with texts that you feel then pressure to respond to, but can't because you're busy. So if we don't, instead of pulling on each other in all these ways to try to get our needs met by just sort of having an open dialogue, which requires, as we've talked about in the past, being vulnerable. And there's the million dollar problem, right? There's the big, the big elephant in the room is we have to be willing to put ourselves out there a little bit to get hurt a little bit in order to be able to ultimately get what it is that we're after. Totally. totally. Um, I think the most dangerous thing in relationships is the withdrawal, the silent withdrawal, because the withdrawal is just for someone that's anxious. It just, and yeah, I'm in the, um, I have the belief that, uh, whether you say it or not, it's a communication. Of so course. if you're silently withdrawing, it just, it can occur as abandonment. It can just cause <clears> so much. And so the best agreement a couple can have is like, we're just going to stay connected. And if we need space, communicate that. But the silent withdrawal is just, you yeah. pay for that on the back end. Like, right. A million times. So that is otherwise known as ghosting. Uh, uh, so, and I think like we have a lot, that's a pretty, that's a word in the realm of dating that we are all familiar with and, you know, is a terrible thing to do, but we often do it because again, of not knowing how to communicate, not wanting to hurt someone's feelings. So instead of saying to somebody, maybe I've dated for a month or two, you know what, this is not the right fit for me because I don't want to hurt your feelings. What do I do instead? Destroy you like leave a permanent scar because I just ghost you or like you're saying, Molly, do that silent withdrawal, which then kicks up all of somebody's anxieties. What, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? What do I do? And so um, as you're sort of alluding to, that's, that's definitely not the right play. Um, so if I've never done this before, how do I start? Where's my beginning point? Uh, like, you mean, if I've never had a conversation like this before. Right. So if I've never, if I'm used to playing the games, because that's what this is. I mean, we kind of also know this dance as the games of dating. Like, when do I, when do I like let them know I really like them? When do I drop my guard? And, you know, how do I, when they overly text, how do I not play a game? Because you also, the first thing we talked about, which I think is important to bring up now, I forget exactly the language you used, but was that like cat and mouse, that dance where if somebody's too available, they're too available, but if they're not available enough, that then we're disinterested. So having that dance, that's also a factor. Yeah, dynamic tension. I think this is where emotional intelligence will like will just totally propel your career, your relationships, mm -hmm. because 
if you're anxious knowing that or if you're avoiding doing that but ideally you want to look for someone that's secure so are they consistently communicating are they putting attention on me but here's the thing with the, i would say about emotional intelligence is there does have to be that dynamic tension because if someone's too available it doesn't feel good if someone's if you have to chase them that's just annoying as well so it's like how can you be dropped into the connection where you're not filling silences that don't need to be filled. You're not asking mm -hmm. questions for the sake of asking them. Like there's just like a resonant connection. And I think it's so overlooked, but I think the men that have that, the women that have that, like you can tell when you're pulling on someone and you're just trying to like, um, when you're just trying to offload sensation on other people, you're just like, you're processing. It's, it's not actual real connection. So it's like really feeling into like, what's the communication that's being asked? Am I asking this because I'm genuinely curious and I want to be more connected? Am I asking this? This is coming up a lot with clients is they're just talking to men because they're bored. And it's like, mm. not, that's not a great use because it's not an actual connection. Like you're just chit chatting. It's just a way to offload your anxiety. And that's, and then they, they end up, it fizzles out. And so right. mm -hmm. like finding the person that's the match for your attachment style. Mm -hmm. like, do they consistently communicate with me? Do I have to constantly uh -huh. go in there to know how mm -hmm. they're feeling? But then like, are we just like, are we just texting all day to text or is it like, are we actually building a connection? Is there meaningful interaction? Mm -hmm. And I think that just comes by trial and error. Like you're going to have to have a lot of flat, kind of boring conversations and find the person that it just feels good. It's like, Oh, I want to know more. Mm -hmm. Good. so much of dating is just experimentation and trial and error like learn your attachment style because mm -hmm. there is gonna like when when you do have your person, that person that can meet those needs it, it's easy well so but the thing is about this and we've talked about this before and this is the challenge the challenge is just knowing that your attachment style is just like the first piece, because attachment styles can be changed. So if I have an insecure and avoidant attachment style, then that may mean that I get anxious and then I run. My pattern is get anxious and run. I get anxious, I ghost. I get anxious and I get quiet. I don't communicate. They have to chase to get information out of me. And that's the pattern. Continue to just run and then be chased. That's how I know you care, that kind of thing. When they stop chasing, I know they don't care, that kind of thing. So in other words, but I don't, so in a, if I'm that kind of person, a securely attached person, someone who is very, where, what does secure attachment look like? It looks like normal, what we all would imagine normal looks like. What does normal look like? Someone tells me how they feel. They call because they want to. They have no problem communicating, you know, I was thinking about you. I just wanted to say good morning. They, they have an easier time navigating life day to day and being able to communicate what they need and want. And they'll ask if they have a question. Like, so there's not the gaminess that you're gonna feel from someone who doesn't. However, and this is the challenge, if I have an insecure attachment, it's extremely unlikely that a securely attached person is attractive because of the fact that they're too reliable. And I'm looking subconsciously, this is, I know, a lot of psychology stuff, to play out the dance. So I don't know that, I don't realize that, but this is why like people say, why is the bad boy always the attractive one? Or why is the bad girl, why is the person, whether it's, it's not gender specific, why is the person who seems the hardest to have the most attractive? Well, that is, as we're discussing, that's for a really good reason. It's because that person is allowing me in many regards to play out my stuff. And the belief is if I can, what does it say about me if I can tackle the one that everybody wants that nobody can have? So there's all this, there's all of that that factors in. So my question to you from the beginning has always been, you know, okay, great. Well, what if, what do I do though? Cause I'm already stuck. Like what if I'm already stuck? I, I, yeah, I know my attachment style and yeah, I do all the things I'm supposed to do, but I don't know how to communicate in partnership 
because of all that early childhood stuff and because of all my tendencies that have already been established. So how do I start to really make headway in addressing these early patterns that are not serving me anymore? Yeah. I think this was our whole theme of the last episode too, but presence, mindfulness, <laughs> going so slow. Like in a training, they said the funniest thing. They said, like, there's going to be a while where everything just feels so mm. sensitive and like everything is going to hurt your feelings and everything's going to trigger you. And like, when you're just in this new growth process of like getting in touch with these parts of yourself and like seeing all of your behaviors reflected out in the world, it's going to feel super sensitive. Like everything is just going to hit that raw nerve because it's just on the surface. Mm-hmm. Like, relationships, it just, it's kind of a given. And so... It, it, I mean, it always comes back to what you want. If you want to really create and intentionally move towards a healthy partnership mm-hmm. and relationship, mm-hmm. it's going to be someplace that you want to keep a lot of attention. So like, it's, it's combating those voices in your head when you feel like, I'm going to sound crazy if I bring this up. But it's like leaning into that anyway because it's uncomfortable and that's for the edges. Mm-hmm. And back to trust like trusting that you're going to be received well trusting that the person wants to be on this path with you Mm. but it's going to feel like it's just going to be awkward and you're going to fumble and that's why like getting support in these stages is so Mm -hmm. just to have someone to reflect back and like bookend it with you and check back in but you just you kind of have to just do it at one point say like hey that thing you said hurt my feelings or like hey i actually want to talk to you more during the day or like, hey, it's, I need to see you once a week, however that looks. Like, I just, like, that's one of my needs in a relationship. Mm. It's being willing to express that, it's so uncomfortable. It's so, it's not fun, but that's mm-hmm. where the growth is. And the first, and, and you mentioned this too, like, we don't have the wires for a different experience. And when we take that risk and we say that thing, we actually get a new groove in our brain that tells us, like, oh, it's okay to stick with that vulnerable thing. And I'm, I'm going to be safe. I'm not going to, like, my feelings aren't going to be punished. Like, my mm-hmm. feelings are. Yeah. Yeah. So two things you said that are critical here. One is trust and the other is I need. So, and I think they're, they're very much, they go together. First and foremost, it's about, and we've, we always talk about this, it comes back to my relationship with me. Do I trust me? And how do I develop trust in myself? Well, do my actions and my words and my beliefs, do they align? Because if I'm in a place where when I say something, I trust myself. I trust that I'm going to follow up. Um, I think we're, yeah, there you are. Okay. <laughs> we're looking at a chair, Molly. Um, <clears throat> so, If I can develop a trusting relationship with myself, number one, because I know me, and number two, because I know that I I do what I say, I live the way, or as close to, not perfection, of course, but I live in accordance with how I want to live my life. I'm living in my, we call it authenticity. We're living in my truth, or we're working. It doesn't have to be perfect. We just have to be working towards that. You know, if that means coming to terms with the fact that I hate my job, it just means like, okay, all I have to do is announce that instead of denying and running from the fact that I really hate my job and trying to make, make it like, no, it's okay. I like the people I work with. No, no, no. Just, I hate my job. Cool. Now I've said it. Now I can start to look at what do I want, if anything to do about it, but it's about honesty with self. Now, why does this matter in relationships? Because if I don't trust me, you will never be able to trust anybody else. <clears throat> what I always say to couples that I've worked with in the past if I have a partner who's constantly, you know, accusing me of cheating or doesn't trust me and wants to go through my phone and, you know, I might at first think, oh, they really care about me because they're all over me about cheating. But what that really is, is a reflection of what's going on with them. Because we tend to project, we tend to think that what my life is like or my inner experience is also what yours is like, even though that could not sometimes be further from the truth. So I might say to you, well, I was cheated on before. That's the reason why I'm all over you about this. But the truth is, if it wasn't in their head, it, they wouldn't think it was in yours. So the point is that if I trust me, then I naturally can begin to trust somebody else as an extension of that. 
But if I can't trust me, we're going nowhere. There's absolutely no shot that I'm going to start to trust you. And then, of course, we're going to do, as you said, all those behaviors that we do as like, it's not a game on purpose, but that we do to try to get reassurance that somebody cares. And that's where, like you were saying, it's like my behavior is not, it doesn't feel sometimes authentic because it's like I'm being manipulative, even if I don't know I'm being manipulative, or it just doesn't feel good to my partner who doesn't know what the hell I'm doing or why and what my craziness is about. And so when we are able to communicate, you know, well, when we're all first, like you're saying, slowing down enough to get honest with ourselves. And that's got to be, that's where everything starts because I'm never going to be able to communicate myself, my needs to somebody else until I'm able to say what my needs are first. Well, I need to get a job that I care about. You know, I need to be able to do X, Y, and Z before I can then say, all right, now I'm able to do this in partnership with another person. Totally. Totally. And I think there's so much conditioning around, mm-hmm. like, I think I've said this before, we as a society, we exalt independence um, independence and self-sufficiency. Mm. And I, I just truly totally. believe, like, this is one of my main uh, stakes is that we need, we need intimacy to really move forward in our lives be it with Mm. ourselves, but there is just really something that gets unlocked in the connection with another person. And so a lot of women ask, like, how can I have it all? Like, how can I have the job and the relationship? And it's like, you can have both. You can have a super successful career and the person that, you know, supports you and you let in and you let help you. But um, (laughs) we just have this conditioning that like, being dependent on someone or being reliant on someone for a source of connection is like wrong, shameful. It's like, that is just a really basic need that we have that we don't allow ourselves, which is really tragic in my. Yeah. Yeah. There's all kinds of shame around intimacy, you know, romance, sexuality, and the list is long as to why. I mean, our currency in this culture, as you know, is achievement. And it is independence. And I think even as a woman, on top of what already is uh, just an American standard from the beginning, there is then also that additional pressure as a woman, you know, with this kind of equality sort of sentiment and with this sort of like real push to not need a man or not need a partner, whether it's gender neutral, to be successful. Certainly that's a big, that was a huge wave of, you know, kind of the message that I got as a kid. And so as you're saying, it then becomes shameful and some kind of, you know, what does it say about me that I need somebody, you know, I need somebody else for anything, forget about why. Um, Because we've been taught that that's bad. But then the other side of it is, even if in a partnership, because we do have needs and we do, as you're saying, we crave that kind of connection and intimacy and we want that. So we're also kind of sent the message that, you know, we should have these big weddings and, you know, little girls should be like princesses on their wedding days, which like it or not is a sentiment that's out there. And I see it in all the women I know, whatever. And lots of the men I know too. So, you know, there are these competing messages too about what we're supposed to be. And I think particularly as women, this is complicated, although not exclusively, men have different messages typically. Um, So that's what's really challenging. Like you're saying, there's lots of like norms, cultural norms, gender identity norms, you know, all this stuff that it's almost in a way hurt us when it comes to being able to be in healthy communication with a partner. Yeah. And I think we can feel um, like our part. Let me see what I'm going to talk about. I think our partners, because we're attracted to authenticity, like you said. And I think our partners can feel when we have sold ourselves to the conditioning that society wants from us. And they can feel when we Mm. aren't really ourselves. And so that's why the, the authentic woman who, the authentic person that doesn't 
like carves her own path and follows her own truth and pursues what uh -huh. she wants, she's infinitely more attractive because she's not objectifying herself to what you know, the basic culture, like what we're conditioned to just fall into. Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess mm -hmm. it's, it's, yeah, there's, there's so much in that can of worms, but like, really like be honest mm -hmm. with yourself, like do what Arthur, what do you want to do? And that is like your internal magnet that like that just sets you apart. And that's like a lot of people, a lot of women also come to me and say, I'm tired of going days where we talk about sports. I'm tired of going on days where we talk about TV shows. And it's like, yeah, that's dating at the level of personality. So like the work is to really, like we're creating the essence of people. I'm not really impressed by like the job that you have, like your title, like that doesn't really interest me. I want to know who you are, like what you care about, like what's important to you. So when we can date and interact with people at that level, yeah, that's like where the rich connection comes in. Mm -hmm. so aren't even willing to go underneath what our identity is outside of the work that we do or like get in touch with those parts. And I think that's just a huge part of our journey but the first time i hear whenever i hear someone say they're bored of dating it's like okay well are you bored in your relationship no like no person can ever be boring you're just it requires a new level of attention for you to explore and cultivate mm -hmm. so when i hear that i'm just like mindfulness meditation really being willing to or underneath what our society likes to just tack on to make things easier. Well, but there's a lot in here. I mean, first of all, at, at Mind Movement, we talk about it as self-invalidation. So in addition to this achievement currency that, you know, we're all a part of, that we've all been taught, like, so in other words, achieve, climb, 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 that's sort of the drive. And in addition to that, when I am sort of when I'm striving over here and I'm doing it because somebody told me that's what I'm supposed to do. My parents thought I should be a doctor. So I went and went to medical school. My, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what I liked. So I went and pursued this degree in college, but now I'm out and I hate business. Um, you know, whatever it is. In other words, when we're not in touch with our authentic self or when we're not in touch with our truth, then it's equally as difficult to be in a satisfying relationship because even though I might be attractive, attracted to somebody else's authenticity, I might be attracted to somebody because they're emotionally uh, available or, or emotionally attuned or because I sense that they are themselves in a real way and it's not just that superficial level. The challenge is I can't ask for what I need if I have no idea what I need. And if I'm not even willing to look at that, you know, we're talking about anxiety. Like people even know what the hell that is. Most people don't know that they have anxiety. And, and I resent the word to be frank, because really everyone has fear and fear and anxiety are the same thing, but we've patholo we've used it in a pathological way. So people think anxiety is a, you know, is a um, form of mental illness. When in actuality, it's a human thing that we all experience right now. Everyone's having anxiety. And of course you are. There's a fucking deadly pandemic killing people out there. If you're not anxious, you're fucking nuts, right? So the, it's not that anxiety means something bad about you. What it means is that you're, you're having an emotional response that's trying to communicate something to you. Your feelings are telling you something. So pay attention. You know, if I put my hand on a hot stove and it hurts, I don't just say, you know what, I'm going to ignore my hand being there. I'll just leave it here. It hurts, but I'll leave it and I'll just see what happens. No, we pull it away. Well, why? Because that thing is dangerous for us. Well, if I'm feeling afraid, something's going on. What is it? Can I stop and look at it and say, and not try to just run from it as quickly as possible because there's information in there. And that the only way out is through. So the only way that we're ever going to get to that ideal relationship that we all really, I think, want, because I think deep down, we've seen glimpses of it. Most of us who've been in relationships, we've seen glimpses of what that can look like. And we really want that. In fact, for me, that's what I chased. Why am I, why would I even consider dating? It, there's nothing good about it except that, right? That's my belief. But Right. Cause, because it is hard and it can bring a lot of pain. So there's gotta be motivate. Why am I doing this? I'm doing it because I want that connection and I want that intimacy and I want that, that level of connection. 
if I just wanted a BFF to live in my house, I would just move my BFF into my house. It's not what I want. <clears throat> you know, I don't just want my buddy in my apartment all the time. I want that intimacy. And so, but you're absolutely right. I can't have that if I don't have any idea who I am and I'm not willing to look and I'm not willing to ask what the hell's going on. So the first piece is most definitely validating yourself, which just means like, listen, and if you're not able to do that, cause you don't even know what the fuck we're talking about, then just start to get quiet and slow down because you are there trying to tell yourself something, you know, and you and I both know this anytime we're, we're hearing ourselves say, I don't know, but I don't know what I want. I don't know what to say. I don't know what, what that really means is shut up and listen and get quiet and slow down because you do know you're just not listening. Yep. Couldn't have put it better. Yeah. I think so often we say we don't know because it's the easy answer, but we do. And it's kind yeah. of uncomfortable to like sit with. And so Doyle, she's one of my favorite writers. She's this great quote. When, when I say I don't know, it's just, I'm not actually really willing to look. And you do have to go through, like, you just, you can't skip any part of the no. chapter. No, you can't. you can't. And we try. We do. We try. We try. And you always pay for it on the back end. Oh my God. How many times do I need to pay for it before I'm willing to do something different? I mean, you know, I think that's the, look, relationships are like anything else in life. If you don't take the time to cultivate awareness, to cultivate conscious communication, intentional, deliberate effort, action, and awareness, you're not going to get the outcome you want. It's not possible. And I promise I've tried having been in, you know, 40 umpteen relationships in my lifetime and failed at every single one in a giant way, but not just in relationships, right? In, in, in life, that's the lesson, isn't it? I mean, isn't it the same thing over and over and over again? If I, if I want to get the rewards, I've got to put in the work. I've got to look at things carefully, cautiously, um, with effort. Whenever I'm lazy or haphazard or reactive in any area of life, I'm not going to get the reward because I didn't put the effort in that was required to get the reward. It's just not the way this space-time reality works. And for some reason, and this is just... Like, it's like happiness, you know, we're all just like, yeah, I hope, you know, one day I'll do this, this, and I'll arrive at happy, but no one teaches us how to cultivate happiness. And to me, it's the same thing in relationships. No one teaches us how to cultivate a relationship. And the tragedy of that is, this is why I think working with you and knowing you and having these conversations is so, so incredibly helpful because <clears throat> the upside is the ideal and it really is the ideal like on the other side of this you can have what it is you ideally would like from a relationship and not have to settle for anything else or anything less but in order to get that you've got to start to cultivate it and you know like everything else that certainly at mind movement you know it's about well what what can i do right now what's in my control right now and all that's ever really in our control is how we, how we think and behave and what decisions we make at any given moment. Absolutely. And I, I think the other thing I'll just add is when we get into a relationship, we forget that there's another person that's accountable for. And mm -hmm. so like really taking into consideration their world too. And like, yes, you have needs too. And then they have needs as well. And so <laughs> No one, no one teaches us how to be a good partner, how to be, like you said. And so, mm. um, yeah, we always pay for it on the back end when we dismiss them or when there's an opportunity that we can be more thoughtful or more generous. Like if we don't take that and we hear that voice, like we, we always pay for it on the back end in some sort of way or another. And so it's like mm. getting in touch with a ourselves, but then how to like, what do I offer to a partnership? Like what do, Mm -hmm. What do I bring and what can I, um, yeah, like what, yeah, what can I offer? What well, I how can I be of service to my partner as well? I think as part, you know, how can I be more aware of them, make more space for them, 
be more thoughtful, encouraging, you know, it's sort of like the simplest way to say it, you know, like treat thy neighbor the way you'd want to be treated something, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, how would you want to be cared for? Probably that's how they would like to be cared for as well, or at least, you know, make space for that. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you brought up so much just in that sentence. You know, you mentioned this earlier. Change happens one way. There's no other way. It only happens one way. And the only way out is to take that step into the moment, right? Into the here and now, and then make a different decision than I've ever made before. So the next time that your partner says, hey, what's up? You not saying nothing and walking out of the room, but you stopping and saying, you know what's up? I'm upset and I'm hurt and it's because of this. And then um, they can get a chance to say, oh, well, I didn't mean that. <clears throat> you know, I really meant something else. So, you know, the only way that we're going to make any kind of change here is by starting to actually, you know, confront the moment in those interactions with our partners and making a different decision in de-escalating instead of escalating, in asking for honest, open communication instead of running and hiding and stuffing our feelings and trying to, dis to, trying to um, distract from what's really going on all the time. Yeah, and I would say like mindfulness and intuition. So this happened last night, we were talking on the phone and like trusting when, so we like had a conversation, my boyfriend called back and he was like, did you actually say the thing you wanted to, or is there more? And like, he knew to like feel and trust that something wasn't resolved and then mm. actually follow that. And like, mm. there's been situations of that too. Like, Hey, I think something's going on. And so like holding the space for when they might not have the facility in that moment, but you feel something mm -hmm. so you, like you, you take the extra like partner point in that. And like you, bridge that gap a little bit. And so it's a constant like compromise of like trusting mm. what you feel and like inviting them to um, share more and open more. And so I think like intuition, like emotional intelligence and intuition is so mm. relationship and trusting what you feel. Like when you feel something isn't resolved, like, you know, ask another question, be curious mm -hmm. and see if there's like getting closer to the spot of the, that actual connection that you want. Like there's just, there's a lot of that compromise in relationships and meeting mm -hmm. each other where they're at. So another important skill to begin to cultivate. Yeah. Well, and then, and this is a great place to leave this conversation on trust. So if I want to be able to trust my partner and I want to be able to open up to them, to communicate what I need and want, then I have to also create trust in the relationship. I have to participate in a trusting way. So like you're saying, if I sense that something is off or that there's, you know, by, by offering, by calling back and saying, hey, something doesn't seem right, by not just ignoring it <clears throat> and running away and by making space for them to then open up a little bit more and a little bit more, that's how eventually <clears throat> you're going to start to open up that trust, that interaction. And I know a lot of friends have said to me about their partners, no matter what the gender, that well, they don't, they're very superficial, you know, they're not, they're not that kind of person, they don't really talk about their feelings. Well, they do talk about their feelings, just not with you. And so the question is, or they do have the capability to talk about their feelings, it just doesn't feel safe enough to do that with you. So how can I be a partner that's more welcoming, or that, that feels, that can feel like I am a safe place to put that? And also by not, by not needing that, like you can't force someone to trust you. You do that with how you act, how you respond. So it's all those little nuances in the relationship each second of every day that are going to create trust, not the big, you know, not like waiting for the war to try to create trust. Because as you said, I mean, one thing, one small thing that you say at the wrong time, that's it. I mean, it's never, you're never getting that back. And it, it really it can rupture, it can rupture. And to undo a rupture, a real attachment rupture is traumatic. It's re-traumatizing for people and may never, that's it. Like it could be game over depending on the circumstances. So um, it's the little things that matter. 
absolutely. Yeah, like feeling good to come back to after someone's disappeared for a while and you just like, this is one of the best things my coach has said. She's like, does it feel good to come back to you or do you punish them when they do come back? So it's like proving of every single thing. Like, thank you for calling me. Thank you for calling me mm. back. Like reinforcing the behavior that you want. And so then they know, like you're mm. teaching them to continue to do things. And like, thank you for checking in. Thank you for... Like just it. acknowledging it because you're like it feels good yeah, and you like it feels good. You want to reinforce the behavior, so so there, like you said, there's so many little things you can do. Yeah, so helpful. I, our Instagram just cut out. If you missed that, that was just approve and reinforce, um, which is so helpful to hear and be reminded of. I'm sure for anybody in a, a relationship right now, because we are very punishing sometimes, and that's we're just again we're just reinforcing the same the things we don't want. We get stuck in these patterns without knowing it. And, you know, getting out is, is you have to be aware and thoughtful. So, oh my God, so much in this conversation today, Molly. Thank you so much. This one's a little bit more serious than maybe some of our others, but I think really helpful for people to hear and to, and to know because, you know, what's more important than, than our intimate partnerships? And we're not conscious about that nearly enough. So... Thank you so much for your time. Such a helpful conversation as always. And um, we'll be back again next Tuesday.